mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise podcast. It's time for the baseball podcast with Bally Senior MLB writer David Brown. David, how are you? Hi, Andy. I'm doing great. Spectacular. So uh, one of the things we didn't get to talk about because we, uh, we didn't do the podcast last week was the weird um, handling of this, the Wilson Contreras saga by the Cardinals. There's also a Cub component because I ended up fighting with the Cub fans for a day about just trying to get them, convince them that they shouldn't boo Wilson in his first at bat. After that, he's free game. But just mm. don't be that bunch. But anyway, the uh, perfect timing for Wilson and the Cardinals and the Cubs was that uh, the Cardinals had decided that uh, he was to blame for all of their pitching struggles and that he would no longer be catching. In fact, he might even play some left field. Then a day later, they said he will not be playing any left field, but he will not be catching. And a week later, he's their catcher. Yep. The whole thing seems like it didn't need to be a thing. That's not how you would have handled it? Do you think anybody would have noticed if he had just DH'd for a few days and then was back catching again? But it's... What I I was offended as a Cub fan by the implication that because Wilson uh, worked in the uh, inferior Chicago Cub vaunted pitching infrastructure, that he was not prepared for uh, the complicated and much much better and more all inclusive Cardinal way of pitching, and that they were basically going to have to. Uh, Give him a Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat for a few days to reset. Give him some ayahuasca and uh, build some new uh, brain pathways or whatever to learn how to catch like a cardinal. It did uh, reek of uh, anti-Cubs xenophobia or something like that, like uh, tainted goods. or. And I saw somebody, might have even been Ken Rosenthal, right? Well... They should have known all along that it wasn't a good fit. Things weren't going right. What do we do? We don't know how to pitch anymore. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that's it, but that makes as much sense as anything about this. So, uh, Yeah, it just it seemed like they were... Um, well, I mean, it, no, did anybody think they had really good pitching coming in? I think they thought that. Yeah. It seemed like, uh, you know, people would ask... Uh, John Mazelak about, you know, uh, sure we got enough pitching. He's like, yeah, we got six starters. You know, we got, we got twenty year, we got ten year. You know, Ricky Anderson, but uh, we have more than we need. And you know, I think that they were under the impression that they they had better pitching than they've than they've had. Yeah. And then there, to me, the whole, I thought this was a bad situation for Wilson, not for the Cardinals coming when he signed there, only because. He was going to be the guy who replaced Yachty. Right. And no matter what he did, 
No Every way. time they gave up runs, Yachty wouldn't have called that pitch. Yachty wouldn't have done this. Yachty wouldn't have done that. And I did think it was funny when the inevitably, when the Cardinals' ERA was, ERA was a, a run higher when this happened than it had been the year before. And they're like, see? Well, they had Yachty last year. It's like, well, they kind of didn't. Because he only caught 71 games last year, and he spent right. time, you know, watching his basketball team in Puerto Rico and lounging right. on the injured list. So maybe not. Maybe I was just about to say though, he at least he was around when there wasn't basketball going on. <laughs> That's right. Once the playoffs are over, Yachty will be around to help at least to attend the catching the pitching meetings, and right. that'll be great. Well, you you watched Wilson close more closely than I did when he was a. With the Cubs, uh, you know, did you? Uh, I, I know he was—he's probably more of an offensive first catcher. But what did you think about how he handled the pitching staff? Would it would they have been a lot better with somebody else back there in his tenure? Well, I think it was Matt Clapp looked at the numbers last year, and the Cubs almost all the pitchers had lower ERAs with Jan Gomes than with Wilson. Yeah, but that's all. If you look at one year, I mean, who knows? That could be as much when Wilson caught him and what teams Wilson caught him again, you know, you play your best catchers against the good teams and maybe you give him a day off against the crap teams. Right. So I wasn't going to go with that. Um, <clears throat> the complaints we always had about Wilson were two things. Number one, he was, he got much better at it, but he was very active behind the plate. Mm-hmm. Behind the, yeah, behind the plate. And you moved a lot to the point where you could see some of the pitchers getting, you know, irritated with him, you know, <laughs> basically stealing a strike from them because he – and um, the one thing he never got over was picking the worst possible time to fake a throw to the yeah. bases and completely blocking an umpire from seeing that this was a strike and having them call it a ball. Right. Um, but I thought one thing that was – I remember when uh, when David Ross uh, rode off in the sunset – I don't know if you know this. He hit. A, did you know he hit a home run in Game 7 of the World Series? I uh, yeah. I remember it before uh, before he went off to uh, finish second at Dancing with the Stars. He um, there was this very very big concern about oh my God who's going to catch John Lester because you know if it wasn't for David Ross you know I don't know if John would ever get anybody out even though John had had a very long distinguished career without David Ross. Um, in 2017, they. They kind of split it up. Wilson caught him. Miguel, uh, Miguel Montero was still around, and he would catch him. Uh, and John had a decent year, but not a really good year. And part of that, the, the whole pitching staff's numbers went up a little bit because they had all you know, thrown a billion pitches in the postseason in 2016. But in 2018, Wilson was the primary catcher for John Lester, and John had a better season with Wilson than he'd had in 2016 right. with David Ross. So I always took that to mean he he's got to be pretty good. Um, and and the thing that the Cardinals some of it was th- their own self-imposed things like, um, you know the pitch count could work both ways. If the pitchers yeah. aren't happy with what Wilson's calling, they can just call their own pitches. And right. the Cardinals said we will not do that. Our pitchers do not call the pitches. Our catchers do. I said, well, okay, if you want to be pricks about it, then screw you. You know, you enjoy struggling if you don't want to adapt or whatever. Right. Uh, but they had Andrew Knizner, as uh, Joe Girardi kept calling him. Joe really <laughs> wants to pronounce the first N. Knizner. Hey, that's something week. endearing about Joe Girardi. I kind of like that, actually. Um, oh, the thing I like best about Joe 
is that for whatever reason, <coughs> Boog spends those three-man booths games trying to prove he's smarter than Joe. And are trying to argue strategy with him. And he always loses the argument spectacularly. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, I I know Joe got fired from the Phillies last year, but, you know, he 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 won a World Series with the Yankees, Boog. And he went to Northwestern, and he stuck around in the big leagues for a long time, basically because he was smart. Right. So maybe that's not the guy to be, you know, hmm. trying to argue this stuff with. Um, yeah, so weird thing. The Cardinals basically just had Knizner catch every game that week. They brought the backup up, but they never used him. So his poor, I'm sure he's been icing his knees for, you know, the last 72 hours nonstop. And then uh, they made it sound like this, oh, he Wilson's not going to catch for a long time. He's got a lot to right. learn. Oh, this could be months. And it was a week. Right. And he caught, um, what was it, Monday night, and Jack Flaherty's best start Jack Flaherty's had in like three years. It's like, oh. They'll somehow find a way to congratulate themselves for completely botching the thing and be like, "Well, look, it worked." Yeah, well, just because it ended up the way that you hoped it would doesn't mean that you actually affected that change. I don't think. Yeah, and I haven't seen anybody attempt to put forward a narrative that makes sense that uh, that shows that either. I think. Everyone's still trying to figure out exactly what the hell's going on. So, the discouraging thing from a Cub fan standpoint was, and it was it was predictable. You know, the Cardinals were kind of crawled into town. They had just lost two out of three of the Tigers, I think, and uh, they had never they had they had played all year and they had not won the first game of a series, <laughs> and they won the first two games against the Cubs, who. You could watch the Cubs breathe life back into them. And um, Cubs are winning uh, as, as we're recording this, so they're going to stave it off. But Cubs will be in last place sometime next week, I would think, the, the way things are headed. So, great. Thanks a lot, guys. Maybe they'll get a bounce. I don't know. Maybe. So... I guess we are to believe that that's, you know, hey, we fixed him. Whatever we did, we unscrewed the top of his head and we poured all of our pitching knowledge into him and now he has, everything will be fine. But Well, we got, as you said before, uh, you know, the, the Cardinals, the talent on the pitching staff is questionable. So, uh, you know, Jack Flaherty is, has pitched well before and so maybe this gets him going, but there's still, I don't know what you're going to get out of Steven Matz and uh, – you know some of the other guys, and so so we'll we'll see how much staying power this has. They are bringing up their uh, prize prospect they got in the uh, Randy uh, Rosarena uh, trade. Andrew Libitor is coming up, and he's going to join the rotation. Yeah. Um, the knock on him is that he throws hard, but very straight. Mm-hmm. And there's a concern that big leaguers don't care how hard you throw if it doesn't move. I've heard that. And uh, it's funny, the Cardinals already have a guy like that. They have Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks, yeah. Throws 105 miles an hour and gives up lots of hits. because You're not even really exaggerating. He threw, supposedly, it was a hot gun. He threw a 105 mile an hour pitch in the spring, supposedly. Oh, right. But he sits about 102. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I've seen 103 and change. It almost seems like it's too hard. Like, you know, I don't know. Do you have to throw that hard? <laughs> I don't know what you do. Um, so one thing, it's I, the, the Cubs are sensitive to this, and um, but it's it happens to everybody. Uh, <laughs> don't don't worry, it ha- don't worry, it happens to everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, wondering where you're going with that. So a, a couple of weeks, it's well, I guess like eight days ago, uh, Nico Horner was rounding was was going to score a run against the Cardinals and um, didn't score. Camera cut away to the outfield and then back, and there's Nico standing on third base instead of scoring. And it's like, what the hell? And then I realized he had tweaked his hamstring and he had to come oh. out of the game. And I've watched the Cubs long enough, and I've seen the way that their crack uh, training staff works to basically map out for people what was about to happen, which was after the game, they'll say that Nico strained his hamstring and he's day-to-day. Um, he'll be day-to-day for three or four days. And they'll tell you the whole time he's about to come back, and then he'll go on the injured list, and they'll say he's going to spend the minimum amount of time on the injured list, and then in June he'll be back. Um, right. So people were like, when it, what happened was he, he spent three days on the bench. The the marquee like Taylor McGregor, her big scoop, he had his spikes on. Got his spikes on on the bench, so clearly he thinks he's yeah. going to you know play. He didn't play. Went on the injured list. <laughs> Uh, the other night, Cody Bellinger made an incredible catch in Houston, robbing it. It turns out it didn't rob a home run, it would have, but it would have hit right to the top of the wall. He saved at least a double. Yeah. It was a great catch. And he kind of laid on the warning track for a while, which usually not a good sign. And he hobbled off, and the Cubs immediately said, oh, he's going to be fine. He could probably could probably play tomorrow, which he didn't. Could pinch it tonight, which he didn't. Um, he'll go on the disabled list. Um on Friday, when they they have a buy, they have an off day, and I there are, I know there are other teams that do this, but you end up playing with a you have a short bench anyway. Most teams only have four guys on their bench, right? All the pitchers, and then you're like, okay, well, yeah, maybe he could play in a few days. Um, I joked about this when it, when they first shortened it, and the Cubs were just as bad. I wondered if Theo didn't get the memo that the injured list had been shrunk from 15 to 10 days, and he was still making, well, he's not going to miss two weeks. It's like, well, he no, he doesn't have to. A week and a half will suffice. Um, and I, Megan Montemiro had an interesting series of tweets in which the Cubs had explained that uh, when they make their injured list decisions, obviously they take into account what the trainers say, but they also consult with the player. Why? Right. What is the player going to tell you other than I'm going to be fine? Right. I mean, if you go out there right now, I will. I know Nico went to Stanford, but I don't think he made. I don't think he's a doctor. Right. Um, Worse than representing yourself in court. Representing yourself as a doctor. So I kind of wonder if it's, especially early in the season. You know, once it was a hamstring. If I were the Cubs, I would put Nico on the injured list the right. next day and just said you know even if you're better in like seven or eight days take a couple extra days off we don't need to play with a short bench we don't need to hurry you back um, yeah they're they're conservative in the wrong direction yeah they're conservative and oh my god what if he's ready you know by day seven well then you played six games without without an extra guy right 
it, to me, this wouldn't be such a big deal if it was like the old days with the 24-man roster where they usually only carried like nine or ten pitchers. Right. Yeah, you could have a guy hang. You weren't playing all your bench guys anyway, so big deal. That's fine. But nobody does that anymore. Everybody everybody carries 13 pitchers. They'd carry more if they could. They had literally had to make a rule that they couldn't. Poor Scott Service about passed out when he heard he was going to be limited to 13 pitchers. <laughs> <clears throat> so you barely have a bench in the first place. And you put yourself at a strategic disadvantage, if nothing else by holding on to the hopes that you know, there's going to be a miraculous medical recovery. Maybe they do put too much, you know, medical science being so wonderful these days. Maybe they put too much faith in quicker recoveries for that reason. I don't know. But it, it, you're, I don't know what the overall numbers are, but you're right. It just seems like they've wasted all this time playing short for a few days when they didn't need to do that. You know, another thing that the I watched obviously I watched the Cubs more than anybody else, so I notice more. But uh, the Cubs do a terrible job. They I, they don't really have an everyday DH. <clears throat> I, I guess yeah. it should probably be Trey Mancini the third, but he ends up <clears throat> you know, wandering around by first base more often than we'd like. But but the one thing they don't they they haven't done a good job of, although they've they've started to do it the last week or so, is using the DH to effectively rest a player while still getting his at-bats. Yeah. Like, Nico had played, Nico, a guy with, who's had injury problems in the past, had played every inning of every game. And then they're shocked that he pulled his hamstring on a cold night at Wrigley. Um, And they were still doing the thing that just annoys the hell out of me, where they're like, when they give a player a day off, They'll tell him, you have the day off. Ross doesn't want to use him at all. You know, we told him he had a day off. He didn't do any of his prep. It's like, all right, well, he's gonna, you're going to pinch hit him. He's going to go down the tunnel for 10 minutes. Right. I think he probably can do it. It's like you don't have enough guys to have the luxury to um, have Ian Happ sitting on the bench in Bermuda shorts and flip-flops. You know, right. being like, well, I'm not playing today. I don't have to worry. I didn't even wear my pants. I don't get that. Uh, an interesting ha- interesting thing did happen in Baltimore earlier this week, but it would have been really interesting. Um, this guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, an obscure player named Shohei Otani. Rings a bell. Uh, was the starting pitcher in a game in which he was also the designated hitter. And his first three at-bats, he had a home run, a triple, and a single. So he had two at-bats before the end of the game where he could have become, and I'm sure somebody would have wanted to put an asterisk on it, but they shouldn't. He would have become the first starting pitcher to ever hit for the cycle. Right. But uh, he needed needed a double, and he was uh, one for two with a single. Just epic failure, Shohei. Such a disappointment. Boo. His parents must be pissed off. Um, he has already hit for the cycle once in his right. So this would have been twice, but he would have been the starting pitcher. Actually, I think where the, uh, I wondered if the asterisk would have been applied was his last at bat came after he had left the game as the pitcher. 
Right. Because thanks to the Shohei Otani rule, which honestly should be, be the Joe Madden rule, the the rule is they changed it last year, where your if your if your pitcher is your DH and there's only one guy that does that, they're treated separately. So, right. You can take him. You can pinch hit for him if you want. I mean, you never would, and he can stay in the game as a pitcher, or um, he can leave the game as a pitcher and stay in the game as the designated hitter. And the reason I say it's the Joe Madden rule was for the All Star game, I guess three years ago, Shohei started. They made him the DH and the pitcher separately for that right. game. And um, when they brought the universal DH in, even though it didn't affect the American League, they already had one. Joe just started telling everybody that that's how the rule was going to work now. <laughs> and Major League Baseball was like, okay. It literally happened that way. He just started telling everybody, no, 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 it's going to be just like the – and they hadn't made the decision yet. And they, I don't know, somebody found ran up to Rob Manfred at a, in the bathroom or something and asked him. And he asked, can you slide some paper under here? And yes, that's fine. We're going to do that. <laughs> And I, I didn't go all Jason Stark and do the research, but I, I wonder if, if any other starting pitcher had come close. We've had pitchers hit two home runs in a game and other stuff, but I, I, I wonder if any other starter has ever come up in his fourth at bat with a chance to hit for the cycle. I'm not sure. I didn't. I thought Otani might have had a similar game a couple of weeks ago like that. Uh, maybe not that close, but getting there, because I remember. It being, I don't remember the name of the guy, but there there was some guy who pitched in a game, but he didn't start it. This is, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. He had like a Tungsten O'Doyle name. <laughs> but I think Shohei's kind of been sniffing around this before. So I think the answer is him. Him, yeah. Yes. Yeah, if you're ever wondering if a... If a pitcher has ever done something cool as a hitter, the answer is now Shohei. Right. It was never really... Um, it was never really Babe. Um, because he stopped pitching at a relatively, relatively early. He was a good pitcher. But uh, right. they said, all right, it's enough of that. Just sock some dingers. Uh, the Yankees had an interesting week. Uh, it started with uh, pitcher Domingo Herman getting thrown out of a game when the umpire said he had, quote, the stickiest hands I've ever felt. Yes. <laughs> I've ever, I love the felt. felt. I love that. Stickiest hands I'd ever felt. So, do you feel a lot of sticky hands? And if they're the stickiest? Um... I thought Mike Pusteri had a good line. He said, well, clearly you've never, something to the effect of, you never shook hands with Ron DeSantis after he ate pudding. <laughs> that oh, Mike's funny. So he had that. There was, uh, we're recording this on, um, on Wednesday, and there was history tonight. Um, Nolan Arenado, my beloved Nolan Arenado from my beloved Cardinals, 1,000 RBIs. But the Cardinals were only up three to nothing. I, what happened to the other nine hundred and ninety-seven runs? 
No, I guess it's a thousand career RBIs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not as much fun. Played in Colorado, so the exchange rate, what is that? Oh, six fifty. Yeah. Yeah, this shouldn't even count. Oh, I transitioned away from the Yankees too soon. Um, because the other big news was um, some the Toronto broadcast of Yankees Blue Jays uh, during an Aaron Judge at bat caught him um, given the given the wandering eyes while he was batting. Right. Which uh, Dan Schulman and Look Martinez um, immediately wondered if Aaron was looking at someone giving him the signs. Right. And Aaron took great, great offense to that. He did not like it at all. However, Michael Kay... That's choice words for them that I'm not going to say. Michael Kay, the yes announcer, um, who I don't listen to... I don't listen to Michael Kay. Uh, if I watch a Yankee game, I use MLB.TV, and I put on the uh, um, the fan call... Because I've got to have John Sterling and Susan Waldman. Right. I can't can't live without those two. They are so bad that they are amazingly entertaining, and I, I, I will miss them dearly when they're gone. But anyway, Michael Kay came to the Blue Jays' defense, saying that, of course, it's what it looked like, and you can accuse the Yankees of that, and it's nothing too nefarious because. You can steal signs that way. That's fine. That's always been, you know, that's always been part of baseball. I mean, the White Sox employed Joe Nosek for how many years just because they thought he could steal other third base coaches' signs. Yeah. So, um, I think everybody's a little wondering why Aaron got so excited. The, um, I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you remember this. Um. Was it just a couple of years ago? We got to see a, an unsealed memo from Rob Manfred to the Yankees that he wrote in 2017, where he told them that they had proof that the Yankees were using the uh, in clubhouse or the the in clubhouse video to yeah. steal signs. So I wondered if maybe that's why they got a little um, excited. Because he, they thought they were coming after them for an old... Uh... No, I think maybe it was like already... <clears throat> people would be like, well, we know the Yankees stole signs before. So maybe they're mm-hmm. just doing it the... You know. They're doing it the unapproved way. I don't know. I am reading the uh, the Evan Drellick book, um, Winning Fixes Everything. Yeah. Which is not just about the science stealing the trash the trash can banging Astros but it's mostly about the trash can banging Astros yeah and um, when you uh, when you get a when you get in more in depth with it that it's amazing just how brazen that was right and just how many other teams actually knew didn't didn't suspect but were convinced that it was going on and it still didn't stop it's so uh, I think the, uh, you know, you talked about, uh, you mentioned judges' wandering eyes. And, you know, at some point, 
it, it all becomes and, and the Yankees being accused of or Manfred saying they had proof of them using video equipment to steal signs. You know, what happened with the Astros, it becomes much the lines get blurred even more. It's like, well, when have we crossed over into something that we shouldn't allow? And I, I just I get back to how you you mentioned well, it's okay for I mean, baseball players have tried to steal signs for as long as there's been a sport. And I just don't know, you know, not to relitigate the, the whole Astros thing, but I'm not sure when it becomes going too far anymore. That's all. It, it just seems like baseball players are, are always trying to cheat. I mean, it, it, but we don't call it that. We call it something else. Well, the, the Tony La Russa Cardinals were notorious for trying to relay pitches. Yeah. They were also notorious for if the other team tried to do it to them, uh, throwing at them and starting fights. Right. Which was always fun. No, no, no. You you don't get to do that. Only we get to do that. It's like, you know, um, right. you don't get to do that to our pledges. Only we get to do that to our pledges. That was basically their whole attitude about yeah. that. Um, yeah, and if the line is that blurry, how do you know when you've stepped across it yeah i'm sure the astros completely rationalized what they did they're like hey oh, they have a doubt you know they gave us this feed they know we hung this tv in the hallway so why wouldn't we use it right well and you know judge is very judgmental if you will of uh jose altuve for stealing the batting title from him some year. Yeah. And I don't know. I just Well, I don't was... ne- I don't necessarily see where the the ethical line is anymore. I don't I don't know if there is one. But they had the whole thing with the Yankees and the Astros but the when Jose Altuve clearly was like you know, he gave the excuse about, oh, I just got a new tattoo or whatever it was. But, you know, the whole buzzer under the shirt thing. I mean, um, yeah, it just went on. and um, I spoke too soon about the Cubs winning tonight so that they could stay out of last place. They Why did you coughed do that? Up a, coughed up a 6-2 lead in the 8th. They just lost in the ninth. So I'm just like, um hmm. The um, one of the best stories in the American League is uh, um, the Texas Rangers. One of the things that's that's interesting to me is um, you know we have all these home run celebrations now. A lot of teams have unique ones, and the Braves had a good one where they wore like the big hat. Yeah, and then they were told that they couldn't wear the big hat because it's not an approved new era hat and you can't wear the hat so they couldn't do it when ironically the rangers could just pass around their manager's hat when they had home <laughs> runs and get yes. the exact same effect because <clears throat> boach is like an eight and a half or something ridiculous i mean it's basically like um 
they they unscrewed the cap off of the old bullpen card, and he wears it. <laughs> yes. He's mentioned before that uh, his sons have uh, unusually large craniums as well. It runs in the family. I'm sure his wife is really happy about that. Right. Uh, but the Rangers, first place in the American League West. Um, and uh, doing it mostly without Jacob deGrom, who shockingly is injured. Who could have seen that happen? I don't know. They haven't have had Corey that. Seager for a while either. Yeah, right. right. They've, been without, they've been without... Uh, him. Uh, they got bad news today when uh, actually it's bad news and good news. So if they dra- the, the Mets drafted Kumar Rocker uh, in 21 and then didn't sign him because they didn't like his medicals. They basically said, oh, your shoulder is bad and um, we're um, we're not going to sign you. Yeah. So he went back in the draft, and the Rangers, he went 10th to the Mets in 21, and the Rangers in 22 drafted him third. Right. And um, the good news is he didn't injure his shoulder. Bad news is it's his elbow. And it's he his elbow. caught Tommy John disease. And um, that's another one of the, you drafted a pre-injured pitcher. How could you have foreseen that he was going to be Because that was one of the things I heard a lot during uh, the run-up to the NFL draft. You know, what, how did, how, you know, what kind of, uh, what, how does injury history play into, you know, a guy's draft status? And the thing that NFL teams repeat all the time is the greatest predictor of future injuries is past injuries. Yeah. So, there's that. Um, anyway, so the big thing I want to talk about this week is uh, a column I wrote. I just want to talk all about the column I wrote. No. Uh, but I want to get your take on uh, my big idea where uh, the Cubs, despite this, uh, they're not playing well of late, um, made significant, I didn't think significant enough, but it was still good to see them make some progress, significant improvements to their roster to the point where they Put a put a representative team on the field every night. They play in a bad division, and you figure they would be in the playoff race, right. and they ostensibly could be. Um, but one of the things that it has done is it has more Cub fans than in the last couple of years are interested. They're paying attention. They're watching the games. And hey, yeah. the games don't even take as long anymore, so you can watch the whole thing. <laughs> And it's funny to watch games and then, you know, go on uh, Twitter and see Cub fans shocked, just amazed that, like, I don't think David Ross is any good. <laughs> that's because like, you weren't watching the last, you know, that's because you took the last year and a half off and forgot. Um, he was a... He was a manager who was hired to manage a much different team than the team he currently manages. He was basically brought in because the the stated reason that he was hired was um, Joe was too lax. The clubhouse, you know, the the guys who'd had all that success and won a World Series and whatever needed a kick in the pants. And who better to kick those guys in the pants than their former teammate, who supposedly was doing a lot of pants kicking when he was their teammate, than David Ross. Right. Um, 
to me, it all was, it wasn't that. It was David would manage for half as much as Joe. And the, the front office didn't like the fact that they would give Joe all this wonderful, all these wonderful suggestions about how to manage a game. And Joe was like, that's great. I'm the manager, so I will manage the game. And the Cubs were like, well, let's maybe we find a guy who will just take our advice and just use it. Right. Our old friend Rossi. And um, so he basically was brought in to manage guys he had played with and motivate them and get them back on track. And now he's got a team that um, there's nobody left except for one guy on the injured list, Kyle Hendricks, from that team that he managed. And so he's he's managing. Um, I guess the, the the hope is that he learned how to manage in the last you know two or three years. But when we watch these games, a lot of weird stuff happens. Um, and the, the thing I wrote in the column that I can't really put my finger on is um, how much of it do we blame on him, and how much of it is. Uh, pre-decided for him. When uh, when Joe got fi- finally got run out of Anaheim and went on his truth-telling tour, wrote his book, and started his podcast, he talked about how uh, more and more the suggested lineups that he would get from the front office weren't really supposed to be suggestions anymore. You know, here's your lineup, Joe. You should use this one. Right. And they would he said that uh, Perry Manason would come in his office like 10 minutes before the game started telling him which bullpen guys he was going to use. And so I, you would know this better, obviously, than I would. Um, in my mind, I think there's like, there's, there's basically two different sets of managers now. There's like the Bruce Bochy manager who you're going to give Bruce the information and Bruce is going to do whatever he wants with it. And then there are the other guys who you basically have installed there to execute your game plan, not their game plan. Um, But maybe I'm wrong. Do you think there's... Which do you think there's more of in 2023? The managers who are presented the facts and allowed to do whatever they want with, or the ones that are presented these suggestions and basically said, um, you might just want to do all this. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of how Madden said it, it was getting that the, the front office is pushing more of the buttons across the league than it used to be. I think where it, you, you know, you mentioned Bochi. You know, I think he he definitely has an idea of what he wants to do, but he's also got you know he trusts. That's a situation where he knows Chris Young, the GM, and is going to trust him, and is going to trust Young's lieutenants if they have suggestions or whatever. I mean, it's I part of me finds it hard to imagine them saying, "Oh, Bruce, this is what you're going to do, whether you like it or not." I don't know if it's if it's put that way, but um, you know, like with with bullpen management, especially, you know, it, it's going to be easier for a staff to 
have an idea of you know optimize efficiency and freshness and look two or three days ahead and i mean this is something that, that that's something that's easier for a coaching staff a front office staff the, the analyst to work on than it is to, for the manager to keep in his head or even on a chart so uh does the manager trust the information that he's getting fed you know so i'm not sure if Ross is interested or uh, doesn't necessarily trust the information that he's getting. You know, that that could be a factor that's at play too. But I, I think like Joe said, like Madden said, you know, I, I think the, the preponderance of teams, it, you know, it definitely comes off as a more than a suggestion, maybe less than an order, but somewhere in between, this is who we think is available at this time. So, and then again, you know, there's there uh, the Dodgers have done some weird things in the past few days with injuries. Like uh, Justin Bruhl uh, pitched in three straight games and pitched in more than one inning in three straight games, and just all this stuff. And the Dodgers are known as a, an organization that, um, you know, the front office writes the script for how Dave Roberts manages the pitching staff usually. And it's just it's funny to me that it seems like maybe they're just caught short because of injuries, but, um, you know, we talk about the changing nature of the, of the relationship, but, you know, the Dodgers have, have made some, you know, two straight games of, of, uh, uh, you know, or three straight games of Brule and other pitchers too, that have been overused. And it's kind of like, wow, this is like 15 years ago, how people would use a pitching staff. So, um, you know, just kind of when you think you have things figured out, there are some some outliers, and it makes it strange. But um, yeah, I think I think Joe Madden probably was was onto something there. Maybe there's a maybe there's a glitch in the Dodgers matrix, and they're maybe. spitting out bad data. And um, he's like, "What hit again? Sure, that's what it says here. I got to do. I'll just do it." Right. Um. The way Joe Shelby Miller was the other pitcher who they've been using a lot in the last few days. It's just uh, maybe they don't have any options. I don't know. But well, that thing keeps spitting out uh, Jason Hayward playing right field too. So I can't be. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be something wrong with it. Um. So the, the way Joe, you know, and I love Joe, um, but he's what sixty percent bullshit whenever he talks. I mean, it's entertaining bullshit, so you enjoy it, but um, it's funny because he he fancied himself as like the first analytic manager. Like he was the, he talked about, he was like the first guy to, the first scout to take a laptop to the, you know, to the diamond so he could make his own notes when he was a scout and all that stuff and claimed that he was, um, he was constantly asking the front office guys, like he he would dream up these theories and he'd, ask them to look it up and see if, you know, his hunch is right and then maybe they could get something out of that. And and that um, he wanted as much information as possible. He just didn't want to be told, like, give me the information and let me use it is what he wanted. Right. And I I think we'd all like that in our jobs, and most of us don't have that luxury. You don't get to make 
we don't get to make every. You have to take some input from people uh, above you occasionally. Um, but to me, it, it it seems like the uh, the easy thing to do for a front office is to uh, hide behind the collective decision. You know, if a you know, if, if David right. Ross is dumb enough to leave Keegan Thompson in to try to close out a game when he's been struggling, like maybe he just did. Um, you know, six guys in khakis and polos can be like, well, we came to that. You know, it wasn't my decision. It was our decision. Right. Right. <laughs> and Ross can be the same thing. They told me to do that. He would never, he would never actually do that because I think, I feel like David has two jobs. Um, one is to talk to the media. And the other is to find the worst possible place to either bat or pinch run Nick Madrigal. <laughs> he's really good at both. Uh, you knew I, it was getting back to that. I was hoping that, um, so my theory that I posited was that um, the front office is basically dictating his lineup. And if I was David Ross, I would want people to think that because I would rather that the, the front office told him to lead off Madrigal when Horner got hurt. Uh, the I believe uh, at the time, out of the 13 um, hitters on their roster, Nick had the 12th best on-base percentage. Uh, and that the, I would want him to believe that the front office is the one who's telling me to still occasionally DH Eric Hosmer and bat him sixth. I wouldn't want people to think I came up with that idea on my own. <laughs> right. He should use this cover. <laughs> yeah. He should encourage nitwits like me to uh, continue to espouse that theory that uh, he's being puppet mastered and he's not really making these decisions. Right. Um, and there are other things, you know, the the Cubs that try to fancy themselves is this kind of progressive, you know, uh, front office that, you know, takes all this data into, into account. And then uh, it's the same team that they bat in Hap third, no matter who the pitcher is, even though he's, been helpless as a kitten against lefties again this year. And so you don't have to bat him third every time. You know, when there's a lefty starter, he can bat sixth. You can still play him. Just don't bat him third. But uh, they don't seem to want to do that. Kind of like how you're irritated by that, sort of how you're irritated by the guy having the complete day off that he doesn't, you know, you can let a guy pinch hit, you know, if you want to give him three quarters of a day off yeah. it's still it's cumulative there is a cumulative effect there he will feel the rest right the i the way i always understood it was the advantage and the cup you know every team you know i follow the cubs and so um there were a bunch of cubs that were pissed off that lou Pinella wouldn't like give them the lineup like two or three days in advance like hmm. they wanted a projected lineup for the series so they would know ahead of time if they had a day off and Lou was basically like, hey, you know, what do you want me to do? He's like, if you get here and your name's not on the lineup card, you don't have to do all your normal pregame work. You can yeah. re- you can rest. How about that? That's your day off. And then we get to the seventh inning, I might need you to work for, oh, I don't know, ten minutes. <laughs> and they, you know, they would get all pissed off about that. Um, now they do try to, teams, it's very common, teams try to, like, to give guys a heads up. And every team tries to do the thing where if you've got a player you know needs a day off, you kind of try to time it so you give him a day off before an off day, and then he gets two days off. And I get all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, like we said, you, your, your roster's not big enough 
to just right. let a guy go take a nap in the clubhouse for the entire game. You know, it's you know, he can't go to a museum. He's going to have to stay and watch the game because we might need him at some point. Um, there are I, I, I kind of kind of mapped out the David Ross um, time with the Cubs, and admittedly he had some really bad. Um, completely unforeseen and un, um, things we'd never seen before th- thrown in his way as a manager. You know, he started in 2020. They show up at spring training and everybody's excited and it comes along to their new TV network and everything's great. And then second week of March, the entire world shuts down. That's yeah. not ideal to start your coach career. Then take a few months off and then hurry up and have a quick camp and... The Cubs got off like a house of fire to start the pandemic season. They were thirteen and three, and that's I, I, I remember joking about it at the time. I said, well, you know, Matt Nagy peaked after sixteen games. <laughs> I hope David Ross didn't, but he kind of did. They were under five hundred the rest of that season, even though they made the playoffs. Fans don't remember because they spent six hours in the playoffs and scored one run against the Marlins. Um. And then the 2021 season was the swan song for, you know, supposedly the last dance, all that crap, for the World Series team. Got off to a terrible start. Then they played then they played actually pretty well, and they got into first place, and they were hanging around close to first place when they threw their combined no-hitter in Dodger Stadium that everyone has since forgotten, except it made for a really creepy bobblehead where it's like they took five guys and, like, glued them together. Chimera. <laughs> And then they lost 11 games in a row, and the season was over. Right. And then they had a they had a 12-game losing streak later in the season. They had a stretch even later in that season where they lost 14 out of 16 games. And by virtue of, and I used to remember who did it. Like the, They had a comeback win in the middle of that. So it's unlikely. I'm sure it was Frank Schwindel. It was all Frank Schwindel those days. Kept them from having a third double-digit losing streak in the same season. Um. Because David Ross would have been the first manager in baseball history to lose 10 games or more three times in a season. So you mentioned something about maybe one of the reasons why he was hired, because the the personnel fit and he would do a good job managing kicking in the butt his old <laughs> teammates. That is just a ter- – I mean, that's – if that's like the main reason he was hired, that's just terrible thinking – you know, teams are the personnel changes. You know, sometimes in the even in the first season, it's just they're different guys, and it happens sometimes much quicker than anybody anticipates. So I hope that he has more going for him than you know relationships from when he was a player. I mean, I it's, the whole time I felt even when, as it was happening, um, Theo was tired of Joe. Yeah, and. Tired of all the winning, I guess. Um, and I could, I could see that. I think, I think Joe would probably wear his boss out, just sure. being Joe. And I think they thought they had like identified the next brilliant young manager. That doesn't mean they were right, but I think they did. And I do think that they sold it to you know as, um, well, we'll save some money <laughs> too. We don't have to, we don't have to pay this guy five million dollars a year. Um, but then, now you're in this weird 
thing where if you really did hire Ross because he's this leader of men, then how do you, uh, how at the same time do you argue that well we have to keep Eric Hosmer because he's one of our team leaders. We need we need these leaders in the clubhouse. It's like I thought that's why you hired your manager. Right. Was that he filled that role? And now, so which is it? Because the other thing that doesn't make it. The Cubs are full of veteran leaders. They've got. That's mostly what they're, that's like half their team. You got right. You got Trey the third and Tucker Barnhart and Jan Gomes and you know right. it's, you're you're lousy with with team leaders. You don't need another. You don't need another one. Maybe they have too many. The guy, the young guys are confused. They don't know. Many cooks. Who's leading today? Who am I supposed to talk to? I don't. I don't get it. Is today a Jan day? <laughs> Um, I don't know if you saw any of it, but because uh, I know we talked about the the incident that, that that preceded it, where the Cubs had struggled along with three catchers for a while and on a rush, which was just ridiculous, and then they finally let one go, and then uh, Jan has um, what did Taylor say um, some head stuff and had to go on the uh, had to go on the <laughs> concussion DL, and they yeah. brought up Miguel Amaya, who was their top prospect like four years ago. Like a guy that people were legitimately excited about in the industry. Right. Like this guy's going to be really good, and through no fault of his own, injuries. Um, Miguel caught, didn't catch. Miguel played seventy games in the three seasons before this one total, hmm. not average. That's what he played. He was up right. to uh, eighty some when he uh, showed up in Washington D.C. to be the Cubs backup catcher and he was super impressive just you would not believe that that guy had played that little baseball and had caught that few games like the pitchers loved him like they did not want to see him go and just watching him like he's everything we talked about Wilson early in the podcast he's everything Wilson's not like he doesn't move back there like he sets up and he just catches he makes everything look like a strike and he here's a guy who doesn't have a tremendous amount of at bats because of his injuries and hasn't been playing, and he couldn't have looked less overmatched as a hitter. He didn't he didn't have great uh, production, mostly because like the first five balls he hit over a hundred miles an hour were all outs. Mm. It's just he. His first hit came on like this dribbler <laughs> over the mound, and it's almost like he got to first. Like apparently, I've been hitting it too hard. I guess you had <laughs> right. This is the way to go. Um, and in a moment of I, I think rare clarity for me, I laid out the case as to why he had to go back to the minors. You know, Tucker Barnhart has been terrible. <laughs> he's yeah. He's not been. He, his defense has not been great, and his offense has been awful and you knew there would be people clamoring and they'll just keep Miguel and it's like well he's got to play even if it's only for a couple of months he's got to play every day he's got to catch he's got to get the reps in and um, my feeling is that the easiest thing in the world to trade at the deadline is your backup catcher mm-hmm. everybody's looking for a backup catcher every contender is like god we're one injury away from having to play you know and so if you get into July, somebody's going to want Tucker Barnhart, no matter how bad he's been. Yeah. And then that guy can become your catcher. But um, 
the Cubs right now are in this, um, you know, they're halfway through a rebuild or whatever. It was never a rebuild. Jed wouldn't call it a rebuild, but we all knew it was a rebuild. And we got all these prospects that are being touted. And it was really funny to me that the day that uh, Matt Mervis made his Wrigley Field debut and he got the big ovation, and which he, you know, was fine. He's he's also been not terribly productive stat-wise, but he's looked good. So it's been good. Um, a guy who's going to be a better player for the Cubs also made his Wrigley Field debut in the exact same game. Like, that was Matt Mervis' day. And Miguel Amaya made his Wrigley Field debut in the exact same game. And I mm-hmm. would bet you three years from now, people try to remember it the other way. It was the Miguel Amaya game, and that Matt Mervis guy also played first base. Um, <laughs> but it was just nice in this era of every Cub prospect being so hyped that the one guy kind of slid through the cracks because he's for no other reason than he's been hurt. Like, he was a legitimately a top 100 prospect before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, it's just a reminder that your guys, they sh- your good players show up all kinds of ways. And they're not all going to be the um, you know, there's not there's not going to be a day for every one of them that comes that turns right. into be a useful player. So I don't know where I was going with any of that other than I wanted to brag about Miguel Maya because I thought it was fun. Actually, the the best thing about him finally getting the hit, his parents had been coming to every game, mm-hmm. and Marquis kept showing them during every at bat, and it was like well, finally the paparazzi can leave the Amayas alone. Because Miguel got his hit. Get the damn camera out of their faces. Right. Um, let me finish with this, because I, I just like to make fun of them for this. Uh, the, the thing Marquis loves to do, and I'm, I know every team does it, but nobody does it to Marquis's extent, is a player makes his debut, and the parents have to do like a 15-minute interview during the game right. with Taylor McGregor. Right. And P.J. Higgins did not turn out to be a particularly good player, but I will always be indebted to his dad because P.J. Taylor went down to interview his parents, and P.J., while she was talking to them, P.J. was getting his first at bat. Right. And dad wanted nothing less than to talk (laughs) to Taylor McGregor. Right. This is his son's first major league at bat. He just wants to watch it. He doesn't want to hear it. And she said to him... um, she goes, so are you going to follow uh, him to, to, to on the road trip to wherever we go next? And he just looks at her and goes, wherever we go next? Don't you have a schedule? And that kind of <laughs> shut her up. I just love the fact he, he was so pissed. He just finally snapped. Wherever we go next? It's like, Jesus, don't you work for the team? <laughs> so, Mr. Higgins will always have a special place in my that's a classic. All right. Well, thank you, David. Thank you, Andy. Many of us have herpes. 